Hello, I'm your host, Gillian Semler. You're listening to Let's Talk, brought to you by Citilets and Arla Property Mart Scotland. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show for the world of property letting, investment, legislation, personal stories and much more. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's Talk at citilets.co.uk. Today, my guest is Christy Donnelly, an associate solicitor with TC Young. She's here today to help inform landlords of the correct procedure to follow if they have certain unresolved issues with their tenants. Morning, Christy. Good morning. Thanks for coming through from, from Glasgow all yes. the way. Nice, nice to be out of the office. Yeah. Well, listen, let's, um, let's talk about TC Young first of all, because they've been established for 175 years. And they've got a reputation for being one of Scotland's most dynamic and progressive law firms. Do you want to tell us about the history of the company and provide an overview of the types of clients it acts for and the legal services it provides? Yes, certainly. So the firm was established in 1842, I believe. And I think we're fairly well known for our work with registered social landlords and charities. But in addition to that, we do have a wide client base. We act for individuals, businesses of all sizes, um, as well as um, we have a private client team that deal with family law issues, trusts, executories, guardianships. Um, So we do a lot, and that is in addition to the work that I do um, in the private rented sector team and our court or litigation department that handle um, a variety of of disputes. Right, yeah, because as you mentioned, TC Young, they've a dedicated private rented sector team for landlords and letting agents. So can you go into more detail about the experience of the team and the services available? Yes, so our private rented sector team sits within our wider litigation department um, and we provide advice on a range of tenancy and housing management issues to landlords in the social and private sector. Um, Within the wider team we have three solicitors who are accredited specialists in housing and residential tenancy law and one of our partners also sits as a legal member on the first tier tribunal so that's very handy for for picking his brain from from time to time. The private entity sector team is made up of myself and Claire Mullen, who is our senior associate and one of the accredited specialists. Um, Claire started her career at a law centre, so she has that um, experience from acting for tenants um, and in the the social sector as well. Um, I started my career at TC Young as a trainee. Um, I was there for two years and at that stage also focusing on largely um, our RSL clients and social sector tenancies. Um, I worked elsewhere for a couple of years and then I've been back with TC Young focusing on private rented sector issues since 2021. Um, Our team also has an accredited paralegal and we have a trainee who works with us across the the wider team, team as well. Um, In terms of services, we offer advice and representation um, in relation to just about all issues of um, private rented tenancies. We can advise on rent increases, tenancy deposit matters, advice on establishing grounds for repossession, 
serving notice, raising tribunal applications and of course representation um, for those, those hearings. We also can provide assistance to landlords and agents drafting tenancy agreements, management agreements and um, offer helpline services for a variety of, of queries that, that might crop up um, and through our work with the, with the tribunal we also appear in and advise in fact in cases for our firm's um, RSL clients. Okay, well, let's initially talk about the First Tier Tribunal. First of all, for those that don't know, what is the purpose of the First Tier Tribunal in Scotland and what type of cases does it handle and what powers does it have? So the, the Tribunal does a lot more than just the eviction actions, although that makes up a large chunk of, of our workload, but it actually has a variety of functions, um, some which previously were carried out by the private rented housing panel or the homeowner housing panel in relation to rent determination, repairing standard issues, rights of entry and factoring disputes. As I said, a lot of our work relates to how the tribunal handles the civil cases that arise from private rented sector tenancies. So that will be hearing applications seeking eviction and payment orders which were previously handled in, in the Sheriff Court um, via the summary cause and, and small claims procedure. It also hears tenancy deposit claims. It has certain powers in relation to, to rent determination and drawing up tenancy terms. Um, it also hears wrongful termination orders, applications, which we'll, we'll speak about a bit later, yeah. I believe. And um, it handles the, the letting agent code of practice claims as well. So. It has a variety of, of functions, which is, is no doubt why it's so busy. Yeah, I can imagine. Because, and what criteria then are used to determine whether a case is suitable for the first tier tribunal? So it's usually straightforward for us to establish if jurisdiction lies with the, the first tier tribunal or elsewhere. Um, there are some cases that will still sit with the, the sheriff court. Um, we refer to those as no right or title actions. So, for example, where there are squatters on a property or unauthorised occupiers, um, in cases where there's never been a lease in place, jurisdiction will still lie with, with the local sheriff court. Um, shortly after jurisdiction transferred to the tribunal in 2017, there was some dubiety with certain types of claims as to where it should be raised, should it be the court or is it now the tribunal, for example, um, pursuing payment for a tenancy related debt from a guarantor, but an upper tribunal case um, clarified that jurisdiction for that did sit with the tribunal because essentially the, the issue um, arises out of a, a private residential tenancy. Mm, okay, so can you talk us through the tribunal process then? Yes, certainly. So if, if we're speaking about um, an eviction application, let's say, for, for example, for a repossession order, although most claims follow the, this same process, um, after the notice period, we will, or an application will be drafted and, and lodged with the tribunal. It's usually acknowledged, that's the first step, within about seven days of lodging, and that's when you'll get your, your case reference number assigned. It will then proceed to the SIFT stage, 
where a legal member of the tribunal will review the papers, the legal aspects of the case to check that everything's in order. Um, at any stage, really, you can be issued with either a further information request or a direction, um, and it's important to comply with any timescale stated. It can usually be to provide a bit of information that might not have been submitted with the application. It might be your landlord registration number or evidence of service of a notice or, or something like that. But it's important to to note and comply with, with any timescales because that could hold up your application. Um, when everything's in order, you will then get notification of acceptance. Um, and at the moment, generally, cases are being accepted, I'd say, maybe eight to ten weeks after they're lodged. So it's it's certainly not immediate. Um, sometimes it can happen quicker than that, but really depends on the, the caseload um, going through the tribunal at that time. And again, whether you get any of these further information requests. After acceptance, the next stage will be for a case management discussion to be assigned. And I'd say that's usually between 12 and 14 weeks after your application was lodged. The case management discussion is the first procedural calling of the case. Um, and at the moment, the majority of those are still being conducted remotely by teleconference. So there's no need to attend a, a tribunal centre. This has been since lockdown. Yes, that's been a change since, since the pandemic introduced um, early 2020. Some types of hearings are now gradually going back to in-person or via video link, but the majority of those initial case management discussions are still taking place by, by teleconference. And you feel that's what most people prefer, landlords, agents, for a lot of people it would be convenient time-wise? Yeah, certainly convenient. Um, although we're ba our team is based in our firm's Glasgow office, our caseload covers the, the whole of the country, um, so it's certainly more convenient that these, at least these initial procedural hearings can take place by, by teleconference. Um, there are instances if a matter is defended or particularly complex that certainly in person is better but at the outset I think the teleconference works works really well for, for most. Right, okay. Well, what fees or costs should a landlord expect for pursuing a case through the first tier tribunal? So the tribunal is a free service and landlords or agents can apply directly and represent themselves or agents can represent their landlord clients with no or minimal legal costs. But that is definitely not to say that expertise is not required and often landlords will seek legal advice and representation, in which case the cost will depend on the specifics of their case and which firm the landlord might instruct. At TC Young we do offer fixed fees for a number of services including raising certain types of tribunal applications. It's also important to remember that where enforcement is required via sheriff officers at the end of the process, for example serving a charge for removing and arranging and executing an eviction, there will be sheriff officers outlays um, to, to payable then to, to carry out the formal eviction. Generally, I think Sheriff Officers Outlays are looking at between maybe £300 and £600, depending on where the property is, is it remote, are you using your own locksmith, etc. But that's that's certainly an outlay that will be payable if you have to 
have a formal eviction, have a formal mm -hmm. eviction yeah. Okay. Well, I recently had, so just on another note, moving on to kind of antisocial behaviour, because I recently had a landlord ask me for advice regarding their tenants and reported antisocial behaviour, kind of ASB. Are landlords responsible for their tenants' you know, behaviour in and around their property, and, and what type of actions fall under ASB? Very interesting question and one that we're, we're consulted on um, quite a lot. So antisocial behaviour is defined in various pieces of, of legislation and this might not be the exact definition but generally means behaving in a way which causes or is likely to cause alarm, distress, nuisance or annoyance to any person. When we think of antisocial behaviour generally we will think of matters such as excessive noise, drug use, vandalism and, and physical violence but in fact it can involve things such as a tenant failing to control pets properly leading to extreme okay. dog fouling for example, severe deterioration of the condition of a property or a garden area to the extent that it's causing nuisance to neighbours and maybe there are environmental concerns. More recently we're being consulted as to whether um, posts on social media etc can can amount to, to antisocial behaviour so it, it's really it, it can cover a, a variety um, of, of behaviours. What type of posts you know just as an example? Generally maybe it, it's tricky because those things can also be a neighbour dispute if it's just two neighbours that, that aren't aren't getting along um, but really if there's you know threats within those posts etc then if that can be construed as causing fear, alarm and nuisance to another person um, in the locality or connected with it, the tenancy then it could potentially be be deemed antisocial behaviour. Okay, so what are the first steps that a landlord or letting agent should take if they've had a report made to them and also what would be the consequences if a landlord failed to take action? Yes, yeah, so whether whether the landlord is responsible, that's certainly, um, I can see why that is a concern for, for many landlords and I, I think the answer is to an extent they're responsible, yes, um, and, and there can be consequences. The, the landlord's responsibility relates to managing how the house is, is let and how it's used um, through their contract with the tenant but also um, in keeping with the powers that are available to the landlord via the, the legislation. The Antisocial Behaviour etc Scotland Act 2004 gives local authorities certain powers to, to tackle antisocial behaviour and this can be done by serving an antisocial behaviour notice on a landlord. Um, Non-compliance with, with an antisocial behaviour notice is a, a criminal offence. It can be subject to a fine, but in my experience, I've personally never been instructed in relation to one, which I think tends to suggest that they're pretty rare and would only be used in, in really extreme cases. The local authority taking that sort of action involves them trying to assist the landlord to tackle the behaviour, um, and, and the notice will outline specific actions the landlord should take to, to deal with the tenant's behaviour and the consequences etc. The, there are powers um, if the landlord doesn't adhere to or take the steps required by the antisocial behaviour notice um, to seek orders in relation to what rent's payable. 
Um, service of an antisocial behaviour notice can also impact the landlord's registration or renewal of their landlord's registration. But as I said, I've never been instructed specifically in relation to an antisocial behaviour notice. So hopefully that indicates that, that they're, they're quite rare. But that is not to say that the landlord shouldn't um, take certain steps if mm -hmm. antisocial behaviour is, is reported to them. And I think um, the advice would be to record it. Um, if there's a, a report of antisocial behaviour, keep a diary of incidents and issues. Think about the location. Is it in and around the property? If it's something that you've heard your tenant was involved in miles away from the property, probably not going to be relevant to, to the tenancy. Uh, I would suggest contact with the tenant, get their position on it, and if you're satisfied that that incident occurred, highlight that that constitutes a breach of the lease um, where possible, gather evidence of it. Um, for example, if it was vandalism, photographs um, or some local authorities will also have antisocial behaviour teams and, and officers. Sometimes they can assist um, for serious or criminal matters. The police might be able to give you a, a disclosure, really all relating back to keeping a record of, of what's been reported to you. Um, it's also a good idea to write to the tenant um, again, that, that could be email, it could be letter, even text message, it's going to be better than nothing, saying, this has been reported to me, it's a breach of your tenancy, and if it doesn't stop, your tenancy might be at risk. It's really putting the tenant on notice and encouraging them as far as possible to, to take steps to, to stop behaving in, in that manner. So if, say, they take that first move appropriate action and um, matters don't improve, um, what, what would be, you'd be your advice in that situation? In, in those cases where there, are, there is ongoing antisocial behaviour then, and, and if there is no improvement, often landlords will proceed to, to serve notice based on, on the relevant ground, the antisocial behaviour grounds or, or criminal conduct for example, and then seek eviction orders um, at the tribunal. It, that, that should be a matter of last resort, but in, in, you know, in serious incidents it it, it might it might be inevitable, uh, and of course the the landlord is is bearing in mind their obligations and the impact it might have on on their landlord registration, and and how the the behaviour is affecting them and, and neighbours to the property etc. Um, it is however important to to keep in mind that that tenants with a antisocial behaviour who are behaving antisocially and causing those issues. There are likely also to be other tenancy related issues. For example, there might be rent arrears. The tenant might have mental health issues, addiction issues. So these matters do have to be handled sensitively. Um, in some cases where the tenant might also be in rent arrears, it might be that the path of least resistance is to seek termination based on the rent arrears rather than um, the antisocial ground. And when we give that advice to clients, it's not because we don't see that the antisocial behaviour is sufficiently serious or having a detrimental impact. It's because these actions require a lot of evidence. Um, records are therefore, as I mentioned earlier, very important. And 
witnesses can also be vitally important because to grant an eviction order based on antisocial behaviour, the tribunal have to be satisfied that the behaviour occurred and secondly, that it's reasonable to grant an eviction order because of that. Um, everyone will no doubt be aware by now that the mandatory grounds have gone and everything's discretionary, so reasonableness comes into it. And that's why witnesses can be vitally important to explain the impact that antisocial behaviours having on them. Um, another unfortunate element of antisocial behaviour cases is that, understandably, neighbours can, can be reluctant to appear as witnesses mm -hmm. against a tenant that they're, they're having to, to live beside. So landlords can, yeah, can, can struggle to, to gather the evidence. It's not because antisocial behaviour isn't occurring, but it's a difficult situation. Demonstrating to... it to the tribunal, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so do you have any interesting previous cases related to antisocial behaviour that can demonstrate this type of scenario? Yes, um, there's one case that springs to mind that struck us as being quite serious because neighbour neighbouring residents of the antisocial tenant were actually handing in their notice. Um, to leave neighbouring tenancies that otherwise they, they were happy and settled in um, because of the, the conduct of, of, of the tenant who we were instructed to, to serve notice on and, and to seek um, a repossession order. In that case, the, the tenant was approaching um, neighbouring residents in the middle of the night and early hours of the morning. Um, not always in, in an aggressive or threatening manner, just sometimes asking for for assistance or, or, or help with things, asking for, for money, um, entering neighbouring gardens, which was causing alarm to other neighbours and, and their family members. Um, and there were some concerning posts on, on social media that were alarming um, neighbours. Um, in that case, uh, an eviction order was granted on antisocial behaviour grounds. And the, the tribunal considered that there were many, many incidents over, I think, a period of almost two years. And the fact that it was submitted to the tribunal, these neighbouring residents were leaving their tenancies because it was so bad, they just they couldn't put up with it any longer. Um, so whilst an antisocial eviction order was, was made in that case, it's important to know that the case wasn't defended by the tenant. Right. And had it been, then really the process would have been long and, and drawn out proving every incident. It's fairly easy for a tenant to say, I didn't do that. And then the landlord has got to prove calling mm -hmm. witnesses, etc., lodging all the records that it did occur. So, um, yeah, important to note that whilst the landlord was successful in obtaining, obtaining an eviction order, it, it wasn't a a defended case. Okay. It, it can also be worthwhile um, to take a step back and think about how serious truly is the antisocial behaviour because for when you're caught up in it and it's you know a personal matter to the landlord, it's their property and those concerns are completely valid. Um, there, there's quite a, a well-known social sector case um, in relation to cannabis cultivation. Um, and in that case, the tenant had been convicted of small-scale 
um, cannabis cultivation and was issued with a fine and the social landlord saw repossession of the property um, on that basis. The sheriff found that whilst it, it was accepted, admitted that the criminal conduct had, had occurred, it wasn't reasonable to evict. There had been no actual nuisance to any neighbours and the offence was on the lower end of the scale. So in, in that case, an eviction order wasn't granted. I think it's important to keep cases like that in mind because now we have the reasonableness test in the private sector as well. All the grounds are discretionary. So it's important to remember that even if you can establish the antisocial or criminal conduct, depending on the severity of it, the tenant's wider circumstances, is that the first time they've ever been in trouble? You know, mm. it, there is no guarantee that the tribunal will, will find it reasonable to evict. Okay. Well, let's talk about wrongful termination orders. Um, as I can imagine, you've experienced landlords possibly unknowingly issuing a notice to leave incorrectly you know, to try and resolve antisocial behaviour in their property. Do you want to inform the listeners about the concept of wrongful termination orders and, and a classic example of this and, and also why there's been an increasing number of cases in, in recent years? Yes, I think they're they're a bit of a hot topic mm -hmm. at, at the moment. We're certainly getting more and more inquiries about wrongful termination. Um, the wrongful termination applies only to private residential tenancies um, introduced by the 2016 Act. That Act contains grounds for possession which relate to landlords' intentions. For example, selling the property, intending to reside in the property as their home, and it can be difficult for a tenant to challenge the landlord's intention. So wrongful termination orders were introduced to prevent misuse of, of those intention grounds. They apply where a tenant has received a notice to leave and been misled into vacating the property and they can also apply where the tribunal has been misled into issuing an eviction order. If a wrongful termination order is made, the tribunal can order the landlord to pay the tenant up to six times the rent. And it's important to note that there is no time limit on how long a tenant has to make a wrongful termination application oh, okay. after the end of tenancy. So it, it's not like the tenancy dis deposit disputes, etc., where, where there's a time scale. It, it's quite open-ended. Okay. Are you able to tell of a case then that involved a landlord committing this type of wrongful termination and the legal outcome for the landlord? There is a body of case law emerging from the, the tribunal now and the increase in cases probably comes um, probably due to a variety of factors. You know, further on we are from introduction of the PRTs, more are coming to an end. The legislation has also changed so much in, in recent years that it's maybe perceived it's more difficult for a landlord to obtain possession um, and, and maybe they are trying to be creative with, with these intention grounds and perhaps also the cost of living if, if former tenants see it as an opportunity for a bit of financial benefit if they can get up to, to six times the, the rent. And of course it, it's free for just as it's 
a free service for a landlord to make an application to the tribunal for a repossession order or a payment order. It's also free for a tenant or mm -hmm. a former tenant to lodge a, a wrongful termination application. There are there are lots of interesting cases which, if anyone wants a, a bit of, of bedtime reading, they're all <laughs> easily accessible on the tribunal's website. But but really, the outcome does depend on the facts and circumstances of, of each case. There's one example where a notice to leave was served on the basis of the landlord intending to occupy the property. Tenant left and the landlord instructed the sale of the property the next month so we see the wrong ground has, has been used here essentially. No information was given to the tribunal as to why the landlord's intention changed and I believe the landlord didn't appear at the case management discussion to, to put forward any more information. So the tribunal did award six times the rent to the tenant and found that there had been wrongful termination. On the other hand, there, there's a case where notice was served again on the basis of the landlord's intention to reside. A tribunal application for an eviction order was granted and then the tenant removed after the eviction order. I believe it was around 10 months later, the landlord then sold the property. However, no wrongful termination order was made in, in that case. The tribunal heard from the landlord that he had lived in the property for a period between the tenant vacating and it being sold, albeit not full time. I think he was working abroad and, mm -hmm. and living elsewhere, but he had been at the property for a period of time. And the important point in that case was that during the eviction application, mm -hmm. the landlord's genuine intention was to reside at the property. So he hadn't mess misled the, mm -hmm. the tribunal into granting that. So he did stay in some order. kind of sense yeah. for a period after, okay. So I, I think the advice is if a landlord's intention changes, tell the tenant if you can. If they've not yet left, withdraw the notice and make it clear that you no longer intend to sell or you don't intend to move back in. So the tenant has the opportunity to, to stay put if they want or reserve on the alternative ground that might apply if, if you plan to move in but now you're just going to sell up and move elsewhere. Tell, tell the tenant that we are often approached by, by landlords who seek advice in relation to the, the best option to recover possession and, and they'll say, well, I'll, I'll sell it if I really need to, to to get you know vacant possession and and that's not an appropriate course mm -hmm. of action anymore the advice must be based on the landlord's genuine intention and in, in relation to the, to the property so what happens if a landlord's circumstances you know have genuinely changed after issuing a notice to leave and the tenants have already moved out though i mean do you have a case example of this type of scenario that that can be a tricky one if if the tenants already gone um, and it's too late to say oh you don't need to go um, and it might well be a case that if the tenant raises tribunal proceedings explaining the change in circumstances and, and how that occurred um, and think about what evidence you might have to, to demonstrate to the tribunal why your intention changed because circumstances and tensions do change um, and the, the tribunal will, will hear um, from, from the landlord. I think very important, um, the cases highlight, to go along and explain if that, if that mm -hmm. has happened. Um, what type of evidence would they look for? I'm just trying to think, you know, if somebody 
had intended selling, whether it be for financial reasons, and then they decide that they they don't need to, or something's changed within, you know, what type of evidence would they look for? There? Yeah, I can't remember the exact of the case, but I'm, I'm sure there is one case where the landlord had decided to sell because mortgage interest rates were changing, had served notice, and then got a better deal and thought, oh, I can actually yeah, keep the property. So, keep so, so things, things like that. But really, it's it's so fact and, and circumstance dependent. There is an interesting case. Um, it relates to ground five and the landlord's family member intending to reside in the property. Um, the landlord wanted to move her daughter into the property. Uh, notice served on the tenant. Tenant didn't go. Landlord went to the tribunal, got an eviction order on the basis her daughter was going to move in. Um, and then the former tenant became threatening to the landlord and her daughter mm. and in quite a serious way. Um, she, The former tenant raised a wrongful termination application, but the tribunal said that the landlord and her daughter were perfectly entitled to be alarmed by the, the former tenant's conduct. conduct. They took the decision to sell the property rather than the daughter moving in, um, but there was no wrongful termination, and the tribunal found that the intention had been for her daughter to move in. That was genuine, and that only changed due to the former tenant then becoming threatening. So it, it's not a case of if your intention changes, you're definitely going to get a wrongful termination order. It's just really about yeah about, about being being genuine when when you are serving notice or seeking eviction. Okay, so this has all been very useful, thank you. So, which is the best way for a landlord or letting agent to contact one of um, TC Young's PRS team? We have a dedicated um, email address, prs at tcyoung.co.uk, and everyone in our sub-team has access to that, so um, can action as, as quickly as, as possible by the appropriate person. Also, also by telephone, although we are based out of our Glasgow office, we do cover tribunals all over the, the country, um, if they're in person and remotely. So. Okay. We'll have a blog on the podcast, so I'm sure that, that we include yes. all the details. So I always like to end on a more personal note. So if you hadn't pursued law as a career, what other profession or field of work um, would you have likely pursued and, and why? Hmm. Well, I will talk to anybody and everybody. <laughs> and I love travelling. So before I decided to embark on a career in law, I really wanted to be a journalist. The dream was journalist in New York, very travel journalist. <laughs> All right, okay, <laughs> like a fashion type um, Yeah, I think that's what I'd have loved to do, but but here we are. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, listen, thank you very much. It's been really nice to meet you, and it's been really helpful. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm Gillian Semler. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to the Let's Talk channel on all the usual platforms, including Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud, as well as on citylets.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And also let your friends know where to find us. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show providing insight into the world of property letting. More information on today's show can always be found on our show notes along with this podcast. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's talk at citylets.co.uk. Thank you.